Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Ian Fisher. I'm your host for today, and we've got another great edition of College Coach Reads. I don't even know if that's what we call the segments, but we've got an awesome book that we're going to talk about today, and uh, joining me to have that conversation is my fellow co-host, Sally Ganga. Hey, Sally, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad to have you here on the show that you also host. And uh, we've <laughs> also got Jean Mahan on the show. She is a college finance expert here with College Coach and is going to be helping to point out where Sally and I are wrong throughout this discussion. <laughs> Jean, it's great to have you on the show too. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> now, we uh, A while back, we all read... Um, uh, a great book about the admission process and had a really wonderful and enlightening conversation, Sally and me and, and Shannon from the finance side. And we wanted today to have an opportunity to talk about, I'm going to hold this up for those of you who can see the show. It's called The Price You Pay for College. It's by Ron Lieber, who is a reporter with the New York Times, also the father of a pair of, I believe, teenage girls who are starting to think about going to college I was really struck at how recently this thing was written. He talks about the pandemic um, mm -hmm. and the effects of the pandemic on the cost of going to school and what people are paying for. So it is extremely timely. Um, it's a, a terrific book. And I think we want to sink our teeth into some of the, the key elements of it uh, for those of you who might be thinking about getting it. Uh, and we can unpack some of those core ideas. Now, um, Lieber really, he splits the book up into five parts. And we wanted to spend this first segment of our show talking about part one, where he's really digging into the price and cost of college and the systems behind it. And Gene, I think we'll start with you because of your expertise in the financial aid space. I think one of the things that I was most struck by is how he's calling out the mainstreaming of merit aid mm -hmm. as a discounting tool. Um, as tuition prices continue to rise and rise and rise, merit aid has come in to sort of alleviate that pressure. Can you help give a, a summary for the role that merit aid plays for an institution and how families tend to interact with it? Sure. So merit aid is a great way to fill seats. You know, I mean, yeah. everyone wants a discount. You want a discount when you go to the supermarket. You want a discount when you buy a car. You want a discount when you go to college too. And so if you're offered twenty or thirty thousand dollars in in a scholarship or discount each year, that's going to make you think and look twice about that particular college. And I think families often think, well, I'll have to apply to a public school because that's going to be cheaper. Not necessarily. I mean, you know, the cost of college with a scholarship at a private school could bring it within just a few thousand dollars of what your in-state public. It may not bring it right down to the rock bottom, but sometimes if someone has to pay five or $8,000 more, they're like, you know, okay, I can do that. And so I think a lot of families, especially those whose parents haven't been to college for many years, 
Remember the days when in order to get a merit scholarship, you had to have really high SATs or straight A's or be the star football player or play a mean cello or something like that. And those days are, you know, I mean, I'm sure that some of that is taken into account, but most schools are very opaque about how they're awarding this money. You know, rarely do you see a, a grid except on some public schools, and even this is more pre-pandemic, where it would say, this GPA, this SAT will get you this much money. Not now. Now, you have a lot of conversations with families every day around paying for college. Um, He, the way that he describes it really, you know, merit aid has become something that is really ubiquitous for lots and lots of private schools. It's a, it's a strategy that they're implementing. What would you say is the general awareness of that on the part of families that you talk to? Do they understand the role that merit aid currently plays for a lot of schools? Do they see those two differences in sticker price between the public and the private and say, oh, but there's going to be a discount rate that's going to make that more affordable? Or if this is this content that most people are unaware of? I would say that most people are unaware of it. Um, they may hear that certain schools give scholarships, but again, it's so difficult to determine who's giving that scholarship to whom. So, you know, your student may be an awesome student, but if they have tons of kids applying from that particular high school or that region, you may not be the one they're looking for. They might be looking for somebody that lives in an area where they don't attract a lot of students or they're looking for more males or females or different ethnicities or different students from different socioeconomic groups that they're hoping to attract. So, I I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people are still in that mindset where you have to be a superstar because often parents will say to me, well, my kid is just sort of an average student. So they're not going to get it. Well, that may be a no problem school for your student or, you know, a really, you know, easy school to get into. There could be merit money on the table there. So now, Sally, you and I are what well, we know about college finance and we've been in higher education for quite a while. We have conversations with families. I was really struck as I was reading um, this book just about the, the language and the tone in a lot of spaces as a parent of a nine and an almost eight year old. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so terrified here about the cost of college in some respects. What were your big takeaways as you started reading through this? Were, th- were there things that surprised you? Um, especially through part one that, that you just weren't expecting? Honestly, I wasn't surprised because I worked at one of the schools where the consultants came in and, and figured out how to maximize every dollar. And, and uh, that was Whittier College, honestly. I mean, it was such a joy, by the way, to work at Chicago where they didn't have to worry about money at all. And we were like, we don't care how much money you need. We've got it, you know? So, um, but like, and Whittier, it, this is not a high income school. I mean, it's a great place. I believed in the mission, but you know, I had students coming in, taking, taking out loans to attend that I was sort of not sure of. I mean, I actually almost tried to talk one young man out of attending. I mean, I wanted him to attend Whittier, but he was gonna have to borrow so much money. I didn't say don't come here, but I did say, I want you to be aware of what you're gonna borrow by the time you graduate. Yeah. And what that's going to mean in terms of repayment, because um, so I wasn't surprised. What I was, though, is I sort of felt a little mournful. I went to college kind of in the tail end of when, you know, even if you were an English major, you sort of didn't worry about it as much because you yeah. probably were only going to borrow 
less than 20,000 even to attend a really expensive college um, if your parents could demonstrate need. And I know there's lots of families that say, look, we needed the money even though we didn't demonstrate it. But you know, I, I came in at the tail end of that. I had some very low income friends who they did have to take out loans, but they were very moderate. I was in that boat. And so honestly, I've just felt kind of sad and mournful about it. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I think there was especially, you know, chapter two is all about the FAFSA and the EFC and kind of the, the, the process that goes into determining what a family's expected financial contribution is going to be. Um, and it, it is really surprising the way, and I think mournful is a great word, we as a society have decided who is responsible for paying for education as these prices, these sticker prices continue to stack up more and more it's being put on the shoulders of, of parents or students in the form of, of debt. And the formulas don't feel like they're catching up mm-hmm. with the rates that are being charged for students to get their, their education. Never mind the fact that the information is so hard to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do you, what do you think, Gina? I mean, you've been tracking this stuff for a long time. Um, were there aspects of Lieber's uh, observations that you know, you felt were especially important in that that first part that you would really want to call attention to people um, who might be reading it as lay people? So, yeah, I think I rarely meet families that are happy with their expected family contribution. You know, they'll ask me often, oh, this is what I'm expected to pay for four years, right? Uh, nope, that's what you're expected to pay for one right. year. Yeah, and It can be really shocking to them. Um, and, you know, I think that I I felt like he was right on target with things. One thing I would say is that we're on the tail end of this FAFSA. So, you know, into the 24-25 school year, the FAFSA is changing. So there are some really good things that are gonna happen with that. Like there's gonna be a whole lot fewer questions that families have to answer. And they're not going to ask questions about their untaxed income, like the contributions that they make to retirement. Um, and they're going to increase the income and asset protection allowances, which is also good because families don't realize that, you know, if you're 65, more of your income and assets are protected than if you're 45, because hmm. obviously you're close to retirement at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that it remains to be seen what this is going to mean for families, because right now, if you have two kids in college, your family contribution is divided. Um, so you you pay a little your your eligibility for financial aid is probably somewhat greater. That's going away, and that's why we're hoping with these increases in the income and asset protection allowances and not having to report contributions to you know retirement or kids who come from families where maybe a grandparent is providing some tuition assistance. Those have all had to been be reported in in the current FAFSA, that's going away in the 24-25 school year. So fingers crossed that that helps families. We probably won't know for another year or so. There are no models right now where families can kind of go in and say, like there is right now, there's a net price calculator that if your student is going to school in the next year or so, you can use and get a sense of, hey, how much will this school actually cost me? But there are no models. If you've got a, you know, a ninth or 10th grader, you know, you're kind of, you know, in the dark about all this. Yeah. And I would say that not all net price calculators are created equal. <laughs> some are yeah. awesome and they're really, really good. And some of them I've seen either haven't been updated or they're just not good. Um, 
And so, you know, if you feel like you're on the cusp and you're not getting the information, it may be worth reaching out to the school's financial aid office to dig a little deeper and see if they can sort of guide you, you know, is this is what it looks like? And so no, and then you can make your choices based on, okay, the school doesn't give any merit aid and we can't afford it. Let's look at something else. There's something really interesting in, you know, college is such a unique experience for everyone that that has the opportunity to go. It is in some sense, a consumer product. Mm-hmm. You are paying in exchange for a good. Um, and I love actually, he has this great like trio of reasons you might choose to go to college. Uh, one is for career. Um, one is to find your people. And one is for the sake of learning, essentially. And he says, everybody's got some combination that pulls from these three spaces, or maybe it just comes from one of those three spaces, but it's really important for you to understand as you're choosing a college, which of those things is most important to you and what you're actually paying for. But still, it's still, it's a funky kind of product in that um, it, it doesn't behave according to a lot of the ways that we think about other consumer products. Um, I think consumers themselves are a little reticent to ask questions, you know, the, the way that you might at a car dealership, why am I paying for this extra stuff? Right. You don't necessarily do that with a financial aid office because you don't want to offend them. And he points that out, you know, right. he wants to empower the consumers in this space. I wonder, Sally, you're thinking about, you know, how do you think about college is, should it be thought of more as this kind of consumer product where you're buying a service or is there something special about it that still puts it in this space where it can't be talked about in the kind of way that we talk about cars or homes or anything else that we buy? I mean, I'm still wedded to as a, to it as a transformational experience. And that's always what I hope for with my students. Yeah. And I, I'm very clear that that doesn't mean they should take out a hundred thousand, but that, and, and the, I think the wonderful news is I've had friends who had that starting at the community college. I actually think it's much more likely and common at a four-year uh, school that has a very strong sense of community. Um, but I, I really, I I have to say, though, I can tell like the public has just shifted over time to more of that kind of transactional viewpoint. Um, And to the point where when I talk to someone who's just like, I just really want to learn. And, you know, I was reading about genomes the other day and and like just, you know, and I'm like, you, you are going to love college, you know. And uh, so I, I just I hope that that stays as part of it. And honestly, very importantly, not just at the most selective colleges out right. there. I, I just, it, this is part of what made me feel mournful was this idea that um, a low income student might choose to be an electrician when they might've loved to get a degree in English. And if you wanna be an electrician, go for it. That is an awesome job. And it's not something I can ever do. But if that's not what you wanna do, right? right. If what you'd rather do is get an English degree, but you feel like, I can't afford that. And so you give up that transformational opportunity. I'm, I'm just sad about that, there but I is, don't blame people for that. Making that choice. There is a sense in which I think colleges have really responded to expectations from consumers in the way that they talk about their programs. I think with rare exceptions, but you don't see as much of schools defending the English major at their, mm-hmm. their institution. They are talking about things like STEM 
and not to, you know, people say STEM majors are going to get you a career after you graduate. And that's true, but there are English majors who are able to have very successful careers as well. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to see a lot of institutions kind of change the marketing in terms of how they talk about what their school has to offer in response to what consumers are looking for, because Mm -hmm. there are a finite number of students and, and colleges are competing for those customers as well. It's just a very strange relationship that institutions of higher ed have with with the students and the federal government kind of being in the middle in the way that mm-hmm. it allocates funding uh, for students through financial aid. Um, were there other things in this first section, Gene, that you you felt like, I would really love for everybody to know this mm-hmm. uh, as they're thinking about the college process? Sure. Sally, I 100% agree with you about the college experience. I just loved my four years of college I grew so much and I just had, I just had a great experience. Um, It was a different time, obviously. I mean, I did borrow student loans to go and I just, interestingly enough, the other day, I was like, gee, the amount that I graduated in debt with, I wonder what that would be in today's dollars. And it would be exactly the amount that a student could borrow through the federal student loan program now. So I felt a little bit better about that. Mm. (laughs) Um, So I just, I feel like people need to, you know, Unfortunately, this has become transactional. When a one year of college costs more than my first home, that needs to be dealt with. You know, people have to, you know, find out what is going to be the end game for them. And as Ian said, what part of those things? I hear a lot of families talk about return on investment. If I'm paying X number of dollars, I want my kid to get a job at X place when they graduate. And so, you know, are they looking to see where they're where those kids are going after they graduate? Um, I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask people will say to me, well, I feel greedy asking for a discount or I feel greedy and they're going to, you know, remember me and they're not going to think well of me. Nope, they're not going to even because after they hang up from the phone from you, they're going to be on with somebody else asking the exact same question. And why shouldn't you get in line for some of that money? You know, don't be ashamed. You know, you go in and bargain for a car. You should, you know, this that's the cost it's gotten so that you have to bargain for this as well. So I don't think people should feel embarrassed by this. And I empower them to go and do it. Just do it nicely. That's all. You know, don't go in there all grabby and greedy. Just, you know, nicely say, could we have more? This is an expensive proposition for us. Mm-hmm. And one of the great surprising pieces of this book from my perspective was just the sheer volume of content that Lieber includes to help families Mm -hmm. in having those conversations, not just in talking specifically about the aid package and how to make it more attractive, but also how to identify the values at different institutions, where they might help support students and what the best match for your student is. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk a little bit about what he has to say for Uh, families that are going through the college search process and how some of those major factors in finding the best fit intersect with the cost of college. Don't go away. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Planning for college? 
Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. I'm here with Gene Mahan and Sally Ganga today, and we are talking about The Price You Pay for College by Ron Lieber. Uh, if you want to know what the cover of the book looks like, you can go to our Facebook page and watch this on video. We're having a great conversation. In fact, a great conversation that spilled over into the break. Uh, and now we're back to talk to you about the next segment. And I want to just get into part two, which I thought was such a great decision by Lieber in terms of how he engages with this book. He's got part two is called The Unhelpful Feelings You May Feel. And he has a separate separate chapter dedicated to fear, guilt, and the pull of snobbery and elitism. And I just want to open it up. I don't know if either of you want to tackle one of those powerful, unhelpful feelings and your reaction to the inclusion here in this section. I thought it was so great that he addressed it head on. I mean, I... I it's it's a seems to be a factor in almost every not all but almost every conversation that I have and I felt like he gave me some additional vocabulary even to work with like I want to go back and read it over um I mean the other day I I uh, I was talking to a father and he said well my daughter doesn't want to go any place where she has to explain what the school is like people have to have heard of it And I said, okay, well, how much impact do you think that's actually going to have on our day-to-day in the college? Um, You know, what sort of advantages and disadvantages? I mean, I sort of took him through and he said, yeah, but this is what she wants. And I said, well, do you think this is a higher priority than uh, smaller class sizes? If this is, if, you know, do you think she'll do better in a smaller classroom? He said, yeah, she's always like talking to her teacher, you know, and so I said, do you think maybe you could guide her towards thinking about this a little differently? You know, but he was so like, no, this is what she wants. And I said, well, can we push back on this a little? (laughs) 
Yeah, I, th- I think one of what a student wants, you know, what a kid wants, we don't always we don't always give them. And mm-hmm. I think with respect to that, especially that poll of I want people to know where I'm going to school. I, everything about your world is so much more narrow when you're in high school, when you go to college, mm-hmm. you know, are you really going back and connecting with your hometown for the rest of your life to talk to all of your former high school classmates about where you went to school? Very rarely, I think, is that the case. You know, your world sort of opens up based on where you go to college. And so having that tension of I really want to be impressive among this population of my current high school peers Mm -hmm. misses the growth that you're likely to experience when you go off to school. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I think it's very understandable that a high school student only knows that. But I do have to push back on parents. Yeah. I mean, I thought my high school was the center of the universe, right? So, I mean, of course it was. That's where I went to college, you know. Um, But like parents know. And so I I really do want parents to feel empowered to push back. I I, I mean, I... I, uh, and and having grown up, I personally, my experience was with a mother who was very, very capable of saying, um, Sally, you're really wrong about that. Like, you have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. She could have been a little gentler sometimes, but she was right quite a bit. And I and uh, as a result, you know, we had some really useful conversations about college. Yeah. Right. Are there particular things in here, Jean, that you find are showing up, whether it's fear or guilt or this pull of, of elitism? that yes. come up more frequently than others? All of them. All of, all the of them do. <laughs> and I love too that he answered, you know, had a whole section about this. You know, I love this book, but I think I particularly loved that because it really brought it to the front. People don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah. And I, I recently spoke to a woman on the phone and she said, you know, when was the last time someone had a wine and cheese party and invited you over to talk about college costs and uh, what their kids were getting for financial aid packages? Never. And so I said to her, maybe you should be the one to start that, you know, little yeah. party and gathering so that people do feel more empowered to ask about, you know, what are you getting and what, what, what should I be thinking about? But I do often, have, more often than I wish, Hear parents say, I hate to dash their dreams, their hopes. Mm-hmm. They may not be successful if they don't go to XYZ school. And so sometimes I'll just turn that back on the, the parent and say, well, where did you go to college? Mm-hmm. And do you feel successful? And oftentimes it wasn't at Harvard or Stanford. It was maybe a state college, not even a state university, but a smaller state college, a smaller private school. You know, think about that. And, you know, just because something has name power doesn't necessarily mean it's a great fit for your student. Mm -hmm. So I think parents should really be, you know, and we're going to be talking about this a little later is, you know, having the talk about as early as eighth grade, (laughs) you know, really talking about college is going to be coming in a few years. Let's think about that. Let's talk about how we're going to pay for it because it's expensive and what we expect of each one of us. You know, do we expect that mom is going to, mom and dad are paying for it or grandparents are helping or you're going to get a job and help out? So yeah, I, I think that's really important and everyone's then on the same page. I don't want any family anywhere to put their financial circum, you know, financial footing on sand to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And I have people that will tell me, I can't afford this, so I'm just going to borrow. Well, you pay now or you pay later. It's just, you know, you're still going to pay for it. And so I 
you know, I, I makes me so sad to hear this. And just like Ian, would you give one of your kids a lollipop for breakfast? Maybe once in a while, but not every day. <laughs> and so my parents were also very good, Sally, at saying no to me. Um, <laughs> because I was the oldest of a large family, no is the word I, I knew best. <laughs> and so, you know, just I think that we have to be more honest and upfront with our kids and say, this is what we can afford. We have three other children in this family. We have to educate. We have X number of dollars and we have to retire someday. And unless you're planning to support us in that endeavor, then we have limited financing. Mm -hmm. I think though that we like, we need to, where I am very sympathetic too, is the fear element, right? I mean, I, especially when we work I mean, on a, we often work with immigrants who have come from colleges where really the system is quite rigid. I think we need to acknowledge that too, that like in France, in, in you know, um, it's just a country I know a little bit more about. If you haven't gone to certain colleges, you really aren't going to get certain jobs. I mean, I think the mobility is changing and improving um, quite a bit. And at this point they have more mobility than we do in general, but they're coming from systems um, where really, if you don't go to one of these named colleges, your opportunities will be extremely limited. And, um, and, and so it's, it's such a, um, so that fear is something that I'm sympathetic to, and I work really, really hard to address it. And I'm glad that he addresses it in here while acknowledging that there are some industries finance being ridiculously snobby. I mean, seriously, do they want everybody to think the same way? Like if anybody who um, works in finance is listening to this. I'm talking to you. You should not be hiring <laughs> from like sure. 20 schools. Uh, that's Sally Ganga, G-A-N-G-A. <laughs> well, seriously, like, do you want a bunch of people who all think the same? I think that's no. what you want since you're only recruiting from certain schools. Um, but other, that's like 1% or that's less than 1%. It's such a tiny fraction. So that's where I think you can really be reassuring is that it doesn't, you know, most industries are just so much more open than people realize. I think you're right. I, I also, you know, as a, as a parent, you know, who has basically when I, my daughter was just under a year old when I started working at College Coach, my son was born when I was at College Coach. And so I've been around college finance experts, my basically their entire lives. And I think there is an element of fear of, well, I'm putting into a 529, but is it enough? Is it going to give them enough opportunity? What will the cost of college be when my nine-year-old daughter enters as a freshman? What kind of opportunities are available to her? And I've been saving. I mean, I, I wonder whether it needs to be more all the time. And there's that element of fear. But I even think about families where maybe they're new to that conversation and their student is nine years old. And it's it reminds me of you know not getting started on your homework until really late. And it gets worse and worse, the snowballing effect of continuing to put it off and continuing to not get started because you're just so anxious that it hasn't already been done. Mm. Um, I would put in a big plug for all of our listeners. Most of the listeners that come to this show, you've got students in high school, you're thinking about the decisions about where to apply and, and where to go to school. If you have family friends who have younger kids who are in kindergarten, in elementary school, this is a great book for them to get a chance to put their hands on too, because it talks about saving over time and different ways you can make decisions mm-hmm. to be in the best position going forward. So I'd recommend it for, for those families as well. Um, Sally, I, I, I love what you mentioned about the, um, you know, the different, the different kind of professions and where they recruit from. I, I also wanted to call out, there was the, 
I put it in a margin here, exactly the study that was on here. And I've been quoting it for a long time that I've been here. Um, it was the Kruger study. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember. Oh, there it was Dale Kruger, but uh, it was a Dale Kruger study. And it basically was looking at earnings of people who went to highly selective institutions versus people who went to less selective institutions but both groups of students got into the highly selective. They just made different Mm -hmm. decisions about where they wanted to go. And over time, they found that the career earnings of those two groups were essentially indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really clear indication that in many circumstances, it's about the student and that student success that Mm -hmm. determines their success, you know, later on down the road and not where they go to school. Mm -hmm. And that's different than it is in other countries. And and I think Mm -hmm. it's different from what our assumptions are about college as well. Exactly. I do think we need to call out, and I was glad that he mentioned this, that this is especially the case for white men. If you are a person of color, um, especially from an underrepresented group, and even women, there is And I was so surprised, like as a white woman, really, like, but it seems to be that women in general, um, there is a little bit of, it is sort of more important to go to one of those more prestigious schools. I don't think it's the mobility effects. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think what's important to note, though, too, is that when people talk about prestige, I think they're all thinking about the Ivies and he's talking about like McAllister. I mean, I think he'd include Reed in that, even though a lot of people haven't heard of Reed. Like that's where I went. A lot of people haven't heard of it, but enough people have, you know, so so that's another thing that I want to like point out. Um, that it's it's even he when he's talking about prestige is not just talking about the Ivies. That's I'm a great Ivy point. Adjacent. I think people think about top ten, top twenty five, but when he's talking about prestige, it's like top two hundred. You know, right. the top ten percent, top three hundred schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when people talk about the highly ranked schools, we always focus on this very small sliver of them, even though there are many schools that are highly ranked. And his point is, you don't even need to go to one of those top ten percent. There mm-hmm. are also these other great institutions out there mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene, did, did you you look like you wanted to add something in about that that section? I don't know yeah, if I. So you know, what you said about it's more about the student, I must say that 50 times a week, because, you know, I mean, sometimes someone will say, you know, well, my kid got into an honors program at our state university and got a scholarship, but he really wants to go to the XYZ university where we got no scholarship money and we're paying full price. And, you know, really to look deeper into that. I mean, I've known some people who have just really shown shined in that in that environment you know and have done really really well and I often talk about you know getting experiences so you know I, I'm coming at this because I was a French major and I have two children who majored in history and peace and justice studies and not typically you know you would think highly sought after but they also worked and and got experiences when they were in school and so there's nothing wrong with being an English major and art history major you know Maybe you want to work on the school newspaper. Maybe you want to be working or do an internship at a museum or with a, a gallerist or something like that. Those are all things that you can then bring to somebody and say, these are my, this is my experience. You know, I haven't just been sitting around in school, you know, reading Jane Eyre for the last four years. I've actually been doing something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the day, a lot of companies, big companies offered management training programs. So they plucked you out of school. It didn't matter whether you were majoring in French or English or chemistry. And they put you into their training programs and they taught you. And, you know, 
that's that's something that can still happen, you know, even with an English degree. You can get into a business where they know that you can read, can write, can think critically. They're going to, you know, teach you how to do the job that they want you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and back to that point from the first segment about how consumer attitudes are driving changes within higher ed. I think we're finding that schools that are traditional liberal arts and sciences colleges are bringing in you know, career services, they're helping with resume development, they're having interview days, they are putting that aspect of the education front and center for all students. And I think it is important to consider, well, I might go for the learning experience, or I'm going to find my people. But I also need to acknowledge that part of the goal of my education is to be gainfully employed after I graduate and to have a fulfilling career in whatever way Mm -hmm. I can. Um, we just got, we've got a couple of, uh, seconds here, but I just want to acknowledge there is a really, this part three, I thought was really cool. Um, and is totally worth picking up. If you are a parent of a student who's in their sophomore or junior year, he talks about things that are worth paying for and has Mm -hmm. different categories, including classrooms where teachers want to teach schools, where students learn peers worth being friends with women's colleges, honors colleges. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there that he looks at from both sides. So he doesn't just say honors colleges are great, find them. He says, here's where they might be great. Here's where they might be not so great and how to ask the questions to figure some of that stuff out. So there's some really great guidance in here about how to actually research colleges that I was not expecting from this Mm -hmm. book, but I think turned out to be really nice. Um, And that's one of the really real strengths of this book is that he does show both sides of the coin. He's not Mm -hmm. just saying, do it this way. He's saying, he's giving you things to think about. So you can think about it from this standpoint, but you also might want to think about these uh, issues as well. Mm -hmm. And that's why I gave it four stars on Goodreads. (laughs) (laughs) And you can find Gene on Goodreads. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, So when we come back, we're going to talk about the final part of the book, um, planning, thinking about how to actually make the rubber hit the road when it comes to paying for college, and just some final reactions that we all have about the book and things we want you to check out. So don't go away. We'll be right back. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email Everyone, to voiceamerica at gmail.com. Uh, today now, we are talking show. about The Price You Pay for College by Ron Lieber. We've had a couple of great segments talking about uh, part one of the book and part two of the book, a lot of the different emotions that are connected to this college process. We wanted to acknowledge this Part five, which is really getting down to brass tacks and actually starting to come up with a plan for how you're going to approach the different financial aspects of, of college. And what I loved about this, Gene, is I heard so much of my colleagues from the finance team here at College Coach in the advice here about communication, 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 both with students and parents, but also with financial aid offices. How much did you love this part of the book and the way that he was championing the same things that you talk yes. about all the time? I was just, you know, throughout the book, I would say, oh, yes, yes, you know, agreeing because he does say so much of what we say and, and you know, promote that I thought it was just really, really spot on. He did a great job with that. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Sally, we don't often know what we're talking about on the admission <laughs> side. We're kind of like, eh. <laughs> Uh, to talk to talk to Jean. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to finance questions, I'm like, I am happy to set up put exactly. you in touch with our our paying for college team. Yeah. But were there some things in this section that you thought, oh, that's that's great. I actually like that uh, that piece of it. Or or are there elements of the financial conversation that you might bring into your practice uh, with counseling students now that you're more aware of it from from his perspective? <sighs> I mean, I think in all honesty, I don't think there's anything new I would bring in, but I, I might be able to bring in some language. Like I really want to go back through and read over it again. Um, but maybe because I have been listening to, you know, we've been doing the radio show. I've been listening to my finance colleagues, um, you know, and so I have actually like gently talk to people um, and said, you know, have you thought about a community college or let's talk about an honors college and here are some of the questions that you ask. Actually, one of the things that I realized with my experience at Bright Horizons College Coach is that when I tell people, I think this might be the right path for you, they don't always like it. Like I can do that when it comes to yeah. these are the best classes to take. But when I instead say, here are some questions for you to consider that tends to go over much better. And so that's exactly what he did. And, and that it, it was just good to have it reinforced. I don't mean to sound like I think I had it all going on, but I have been doing this since uh, 92. So <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do the quick math on that. So, uh, I, but I, I think you're right. I think that the, having questions to ask is just such a great mm -hmm. asset when you go visit a college, when you're talking to somebody, um, just sending an email to a financial aid office, 
knowing what kind of stuff you're looking for is so helpful. And he does a good job of centering the student and really thinking about how to, how to navigate that conversation for the student. I also really love, you know, again, as a parent of kids who have college in their future, um, I really loved the way that he helped to structure a conversation with grandparents, uh, not to say, Hey, give me all your money. But, um, if there's a plan to help send my kids to college, I'd love to know that it's that you have one. If not, that's great. I can totally confidently find my way through this process, but I just like to know. And I think that he, he basically has this, um, the action steps for how to have a conversation with your parents about paying for your kids college, I think was really, really awesome. Um, and I talked with my wife about that, uh, just this morning. I was like, this was great. I thought this was a really terrific set of steps. Um, I also, one thing that actually, you know, he talked about us news and world report and he was sufficiently, uh, negative about rankings in a way that, that, you know, satisfied me, but he also made a great point that it has allowed a lot of data gathering that otherwise would not have happened. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually use the data from the US News and World Report rankings to figure out which colleges have the kinds of features that are going to matter to you. You don't have to use the ranking itself as your driver, but you Mm -hmm. can definitely use their homework to figure out what schools are going to be a good fit for you. So that was a great reminder that there can be some good that comes from from those ranking systems as well. And I will say too that um you know, with his last chapter, One More Feeling Hope, he said, why not treat the process of trying to beat the odds as a fun family project? Like, I think this has got to be very challenging for people, but I will say that I've had students who were able to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, one young man in particular applied to, and, and I don't, I still wouldn't advise this. He applied to tons of schools that he really probably wasn't getting into. And so I just kind of had a blunt conversation with him about you know, how are you going to feel if you don't get in? And he's like, it's fine. Like, and it was fine. Like he didn't yeah. get into these, most of these schools. And he's like, I just wanted to see, I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I'm, and he ended up going to NYU. He was thrilled with it, you know, yeah. um, or actually no Boston college, totally thrilled. And, um, and for him, it was kind of a project. It was, he was like a, a future business major, And he looked at things in a kind of analytical way, like how can I maximize opportunities? And I mean, in all honesty, he should have listened to me a little more because he wasn't really (laughs) maximizing opportunities applying to certain some of the schools where he had hired an expert, maybe maximize your opportunity by listening to your expert. But, um, you know, like he was able to look at it as that project. And as a result, I think he felt like it had been a success. He found out about the process. He learned about it. He learned about where he was kind of what his level was and he seemed fine with all of it. It was kind of a fascinating experience for me. Um, I will say though, that I think it was the only time I've seen a student do that really successfully. Applying Um, broadly to many schools. Yeah. And having it be successful. Most of the students, when they kind of successfully looked at it as a project have actually really called their list down early on and had really honest conversations with me, with their family about what was going to be possible financially, academically, et cetera. That's my experience too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gene, any other things that you saw in this final uh, section? I want to get to just our our big takeaways or any other things that we might've missed, but were there other pieces of advice that you would want to call particular attention to for families? I think, again, that conversation with your children starting early, you know, having that honest conversation about 
what everyone's expectation is to, to try to keep the stress level down to, as Sally said, you know, do some research, make it a fun family project. It doesn't have to be stressful and annoying. You know, I tell people if you're on vacation and you're somewhere and you see a college, drive off, you know, draw, walk around, see what you, you know, what your feel is for that school. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's really important. Thinking about what you can afford is important. Thinking about what your student's future career is. Um, just before this, this session, I answered a help desk question from a family who is looking for student loans, says they can't afford to, buy, you know, they can't afford to pay. And yet they're looking for all these loans. And I would really love to talk to them about like, let's look and see what other options your student has available to them before you get yourself or your student in too deep. Um, so yeah, like Sally said earlier, you know, it's really sad when you see someone borrowing $100,000 for school mm -hmm. and maybe no means to repay that. Yeah, that being said, I, I really want everybody to read part three value things worth paying for. Uh -huh. so um, I mean, I try so to good. articulate that to people and it's challenging um, to get it all across in short phone calls. I'm more successful in the retail calls, but, you know, classrooms, you know, yes. this isn't just about a pretty campus, right? Mm -hmm. It's um, like, what are these colleges going to give your students beyond sort of the obvious things that you've thought about it? Please get this book and read part three and then really try and think honestly about what you need to get the experience that you actually are looking for. I just thought this was such a good section and so helpful. Um, and also, and, yeah, I was just going to say that one thing that I wish this, this book had is like a, a companion worksheet of some kind after each mm -hmm. section. They're like, here are the questions that you might ask. And just tying that back to that trio of possible motivations for going to college. I mean, it's, it's in there, it's in the pros and you can pull it out, but it would be really cool if there was a kind of a workbook uh, that mm -hmm. families could use as well to help support that. Gene, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, no, 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 I'm sorry. You know, the other thing he did talk about was, you know, if your student has different learning styles and if your student has mental health issues, you know, how is the school going to be able to address those? Um, he was most surprised by, or he said he asked college presidents what they were most surprised by in their incoming classes. And they said the amount of students that are coming in on anxiety meds and that need yeah. you know, services. And so if your student needs those, you know, make sure they have them, you know, whatever his or her learning disability is, make sure they can address that. Mm -hmm. um, because those things don't magically go away once you go to college. In fact, sometimes they get a little worse. Mm -hmm. I think students fail to self-identify with, you know, learning differences. They, they want to give it that old college try and try to do it themselves. So, you know, understanding what those kinds of things, you know, if your child has an ongoing medical condition, you might not want to be 50 miles from a major medical center. If your kid is, you know, 500 miles from home, you're going to want to know that medical care is nearby. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things are really important. Um, you know, I think in, in determining what's going to be a good fit for your child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things we talked about on the break between segments was also mentoring, um, just having mm -hmm. such a prominent place in this book, um, how he repeatedly came back to this idea of whether it's a faculty member or a staff member, uh, having a close relationship with an adult in your college years is such a value. Um, mm -hmm. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people really think about. 
mm-hmm. when they're investigating colleges or they don't necessarily think about the structures of a college as leading to that. You know, Sally and I, we both went to read, we got to write senior theses where we were working one-on-one with a faculty member for an entire year. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of other examples that he talked, he had, a, was it a whole chapter uh, on dinner at a faculty member's house mm-hmm. and yeah. how yeah. important that was. That happened to us at, you know, all the time right. in mm-hmm. school. And it, I, it was amazing. He said, you know, students think this is such a special thing to get to go over to a professor's house for dinner. And I, I remember that feeling when I was oh, a student, yeah. it's like, this is the coolest, what yeah, an yeah. awesome experience. <laughs> um, and how much more likely that is at, at smaller institutions mm-hmm. uh, than larger institutions. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, I want to throw in quickly, um, a project that lasts at least a semester. Students, yeah. you may not think that a senior thesis is a fun thing to do, but boy, do you learn from it. Right. Boy, does it end up being important? Yeah. Yeah. And his yeah. example of the College of Worcester was just amazing. A mm-hmm. tiny little school that I had heard of, obviously, but just that whole senior project that they had to do and how enthusiastic everyone was to share the information. Mm-hmm. I was excited. I was like, where do I sign up? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He really yeah. likes the College of Worcester is he the does. impression I got throughout. This I think place. it's pretty cool myself. So it's I was cool. down. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot to like there. Well, I don't know that we are ever going to have a conversation about a book that we don't really like, because we're not going to give free promotion to somebody who's mm-hmm. wrong about this process. Uh, so far, we are two for two when we've undertaken these little reading projects as a team. Uh, we hope that you all have enjoyed them as well. Uh, pick up the book, read along, uh, have an opportunity to, to check it out. It's, it's really fun to get to have these conversations. Any parting words of wisdom uh, for our listeners before we close up for today? Just read the book. Read, read the read, book. Read the do book. Do your research. <laughs> yeah, questions. do your research. Always yeah. ask questions. Do mm. your research. I love it. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Next week, I'll be hosting once again. We'll be back here to talk about regular decision results, uh, how to decide. Make sure you look at those financial aid packages and discount rates and what to do when you're waitlisted. Uh, we'll also talk, uh, enter into some listener questions. So uh, you can always send us questions at uh, getting in dot college coach at gmail.com. Is that right, Sally? I think so. I just send them to Facebook. Follow Go to Facebook, Facebook and ask us some questions. And ask well, us questions there. Instagram. They'll get to us. Yeah. yeah. Feel check free to do that. And yeah. Check out our blog. And check out our blog. There's great, so- great stuff. This is it's good to have uh, another host here on standby. I need that sometimes. All right. Well, uh, we had a fun time reading this and discussing yes. it. Hope you all enjoyed the show as well. Uh, we will see you all back here next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.